The following is a message from the pulpit of Parkside Baptist Church in Mesquite, Texas, led by Pastor Mike Wells. Yeah, that's good. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, the Bible says, Ye are our epistle. Again, written to a local church, talking to born-again, baptized believers that were present in that church. Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth, and he says, Ye are our epistle. That means letter. So he says, You're, you're our letter. It says, Written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Somebody used to say, and I heard it several times, especially as I was preaching on various mission fields, that sometimes the only Jesus that someone else will see is you. And I believe that's true. Uh, there are many, of course, places around the world that are void of the gospel. But even right here in the Dallas Metroplex, sometimes the only Jesus that someone will see is you. And so I'd like to speak this morning on you are God's reflection. You are God's reflection. When I was coming up as a little boy, uh, we had a pond. Uh, that was on the farm where I grew up. And then, of course, I used to go over and go fishing uh, with my grandfather. And then later on, my grandmother would take me over there, and we would go fishing over at one of the lakes that was near our house. And oftentimes, as a little boy, I would go up to the pond, or I would go up to the lake, and I would look into the pond or look into the lake. And as I did, uh, I'd see my reflection. I thought that was just so neat. I mean, you could look in a mirror and see your reflection, but I just thought it was extra neat to be able to look in a pond and see your own reflection. Then sometimes my brother uh, would see me looking in the pond or looking in the lake. No, no, he didn't push me in, uh, but and he'd throw it right there. You know, I'd be looking down there, and all of a sudden, uh, there'd be a stone that would hit right when I was looking. I mean, right with that perfect reflection. And he would take that stone, and he would throw it right there. And all of a sudden, of course, the water would ripple to the sides and to around it and stuff like that. And he disturbed the reflection. Uh, sometimes storms would come through, and uh, you'd be out fishing or be out camping. And, and uh, we, we went camping the other day. And, of course, now I'm a little bit older, and so I camp with a different stone style than what I used to. Uh, I used to take the boys camping and we'd just get a tent and we'd go out and I, I remember Jared, when Jared, I think it was you, wasn't it? A story about the, uh, the deer uh, running across, was that you or it was you? And, and, and so uh, we were out camping with a friend of ours by the name of uh, Brother Johnson and uh, we were down Louisiana. We went out camping and, and so we had the tent and stuff like that. Here comes this little baby doe. Uh, running across the lake, and, and I was just kidding, of course. I, you know, we didn't have any guns, but I said, uh, I said to Brother Johnson, I said, you have a gun? And Jared, I think it was Jared that spoke up and said, Dad, that's Bambi, you know? And I said, oh, Bambi's been dead for years, you know? But, uh, but, but can I say this? Can I say that uh, uh, when you're out in a tent uh, and a storm does come, it's rough. I mean, that tent will begin to blow. I remember a couple years ago, we went on a men and boys camp out, and boy, did the storm come. And I remember the Kramers being on that camp out, and their tent filled with water. So they had their own swimming pool, you know, and everybody kind of folded up everything. Now, it cheated a little bit. Jared and I, we rent a camper together, and, and we go out, and I don't care if it storms. I don't care if it hails. I don't care if the raccoons are extra hungry. It doesn't matter to me, because we are in the 
temper, you know, and it's got air conditioned. Man, we're just spoiled rotten, you know. And so, but can I tell you this? Uh, when, when a storm comes and it hits a lake, when a storm comes and it hits a pond, it disturbs the reflection. Uh, when all of a sudden there's trash, I don't know if you've been in places where somebody, uh, because of their lack of character and lack of care, uh, they throw trash around and kind of destroy the environment. And uh, I've been in places where uh, you'd be fishing on this end of the lake, but over on that side of the lake, you could see where all the trash has now been pushed up by the water and uh, is now hung up in the, uh, in the branches and things of that nature. And sometimes trash would destroy a reflection. Sometimes other people, man, I've been fishing on lakes before and it was just really quiet and all of a sudden you hear in the background this uh, motor sound and it's coming closer and all of a sudden it kind of goes in front of you and it just destroys all of that which is the solitude of the fishing. So I, I want to speak to you this morning on what happens when interruptions come. What happens when interruptions come? You know, uh, you and I ought to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be a good example of Christ. But what happens when interruptions come? Statement number one, uh, get in the will of God. Get in the will of God. Now, I think you can see two things in this uh, chapter, uh, chapter 8 of the book of Luke, looking at verse 22. I think you can see two things that you can remarkably resemble here in chapter 8 of Luke in verse 22. The Bible says, and it came to pass, it says, on a certain day that uh, he went into the ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, let us go. Uh, it says, uh, over onto the other side of the lake. And the Bible says they launched a fourth. All right, so here Jesus is, and Jesus is saying, okay, let us go. Now, by the way, uh, they are in the ship together. Now, I thank God that once you're saved, you're always saved, you know? Uh, but if you're not saved, one of the first wills of God you ought to obey is to get saved. That's one of the very first wills. Uh, Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, uh, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father but by me. So it's not two ways, three ways, four ways, five ways to heaven. There's only one. Somebody said, well, when do you know to get saved? When? When do you know to get saved? Well, God even answers that. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, the Bible says, I, I heard the uh, in uh, uh, a time accepted. The Bible says in the day of salvation, I uh, succored uh, thee. Uh, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Somebody came to me the other day and they said, well, uh, when do you know uh, when it's time to get saved? Well, God says now is a good time. Now's a good time. You say, well, what if I don't understand it all? Well, then now's not a good time. Uh, see, when, when God uses his word to be able to show you the truth and you realize that you are a sinner, you have to realize that, you realize that you're a sinner undone, you realize that you need Christ as your Savior. You realize that you need Christ as your Savior. You can't get saved if you're trusting Christ and baptism. Uh, you're not going to have salvation that way. You're not going to have salvation if you're trusting Jesus Christ and being good. That doesn't work that way. Uh, you're not going to be saved uh, and being able to go to heaven. I'm talking about the salvation that is given to us by Christ, if you will. Uh, we're not going to have that salvation if we're trusting Jesus Christ and good works. It just does not work that way. Uh, the Bible teaches that it's Christ and Christ alone. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, the Bible says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, uh, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. So you say, well, when is it? Is it the will of God that people get saved? He said he's not willing that any should perish. That kind of answers that question. So uh, the devil uh, is alive and well, but can I tell you that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels? Hell was not prepared for you. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. God doesn't want anybody to die and perish and go to hell. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven. The Bible says, given among men, whereby we must be saved. And so it's only through Jesus Christ. You know, I was coming up, uh, I really believe that God would take my good deeds, put them on one side of a weighing scale, and God would take my bad deeds and put them on another side of a weighing scale. And if my good deeds weigh outweighed my bad deeds, then I'd be able to go to heaven. If they were about even, I'd go to purgatory. If my bad deeds outweighed my good deeds, then I'd go to hell, all right? Now, now wait a minute, that's not what the Bible teaches. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not of works, that means no work can be able to help you merit heaven. It's only through Jesus Christ. Abraham's a good example of that found in Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says, For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Then it goes on in verse 3 of Romans 4. The Bible says, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Not to uh, listen to it, Ephesians, or excuse me, Romans chapter 4 and verse 4. The Bible says, Now to him that worketh is his reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So here's a person working, and the more they work, the more they get in debt. Listen to verse 5 of Romans 4. The Bible says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So God said, It's according to your belief. Now, I don't want anybody to die and go to hell. I don't want my neighbor to die and go to hell. I don't want relatives to die and go to hell. I don't want friends to die and go to hell. I thank God that God placed the word hell in the Bible. I'm glad that there's preachers today that still stand behind the pulpits of America and they sound aloud and they give warning about that wicked, awful, terrible place that's called hell. I don't think any preacher ought to be ashamed to preach the Bible. The Bible says about hell 162 times in the New Testament. Oh, listen to just a couple of them. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 22, the Bible says, uh, a hell is kindled in mine anger and shall burn in the lowest hell. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 8, the Bible says deeper than hell. Uh, Psalm 9 and verse 17, the wicked shall be uh, turned into hell. Uh, Proverbs chapter 27 in verse 20 the Bible says hell and destruction are never full Isaiah 5 and verse 14 hell hath enlarged herself uh, The Bible talks about uh, how that Jonah uh, It says this out of the belly of hell cried I Amos chapter 9 in verse 2 says they dig into hell Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 5 the Bible says who have enlarged his desire as hell as death It cannot be satisfied then you go over to the New Testament and you see uh, so many verses That talks about that place that's called hell 
uh, the Bible says God spared not the angels that sinned but cast them down into hell second uh, Peter chapter 2 and verse 4 James 3 and 6 the Bible says the tongue is a of hell revelation uh, 20 and verse 15 whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire and so God talks about hell over and over and over again now because of that uh, you have that which is the truth about the doctrine of hell and again we don't want anybody to go there it doesn't matter if they're a wealthy person or a poor person educated person uneducated person doesn't matter if they have the bodily structure of that which is somebody that is masculine or somebody uh, that has a weak constitution we want everybody to be able to go to heaven one day and by the way uh, I I think that it's important to be in a church uh, that cares about men's souls, not just here, but overseas as well. You know, it's important to be able to get out the gospel. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Savior, or through our Lord Jesus Christ, it says. Uh, you know this one, John chapter 3 and verse 3. The Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto him, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, it's not a perpetual state of being. In other words, people ask, Well, once you're saved, are you always saved? He says, You must be born again. Uh, that's a one time birthing experience. It's not in a continual state of being, it is a one time birthing birthing experience doesn't say you must be born again and again and again and again and again I feel sorry for people that you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven oh then the best place for you to live if that's your belief is next to the baptistry and that way if you sin every time you sin you just roll over into the baptistry no Paul said I thank God I've not come to baptize he talks about how he came to preach the gospel you know, you and I ought to be individuals that are concerned. Now, may I say this, that you and I as concerned individuals, uh, we ought to get in the will of God when it comes to salvation. You ought to know that you're saved. You ought to help other people know that they're saved. You have a friend and they're not sure that they're saved, take time with them. You say, well, I don't know what to tell them. Give them a gospel tract. Well, I don't know what to show them. Just give them the gospel tract. Say, read it. Just read it. You might want to get with one of the uh, staff people or one of the soul winners in the church and say, I've got a neighbor, not saved, don't want them to burn in hell. Can you please go talk to them? You might have a mom or a dad, they're not saved. Hey, maybe what you ought to do is get somebody, if you don't know what you're doing, get somebody that does know. Be concerned about people and help people to understand their need of Christ. Oh, uh, we've only got one life. It'll soon be done. Do the best you can to be able to tell other people about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 John 5 and 13, These things have been written on you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life my daddy's favorite verse John chapter 3 and verse 36 the Bible says he that believeth on the son hath everlasting life and he that believeth not the son shall not see life but the wrath of God abideth on him so God says there's a way to have everlasting life by the way can I say this can I say uh, get in the will of God when it comes to salvation he said I'm not willing that any should perish so get in the will of God when it comes to salvation it's God's will you be saved it's God's will. 
Well, I don't think that God wants to save everybody. I'm sorry for your ignorance. But God said he's not willing that any should perish. He wants everybody to be saved. He wants everybody. Oh, you say, well, what if they don't want to be saved? It's not my fault if they don't want to obey God. It's not my fault if they don't want to be saved. It's not my fault if I do my part to give somebody the gospel and they stick their nose up at God and say, I don't want that free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's not my fault. But since I don't know who that person might or might not be, I do my part in giving the gospel to as many people as I possibly can. Why? Uh, because, again, I don't want anybody to die and burn in hell. So I'm saying, I'm saying when it comes to understanding how to overcome some of the difficulties in life, it's better to go through it with Christ uh, than without Christ. So uh, getting God's will when it comes to salvation. Statement number two, uh, hard times will come, uh, but stay close to God. Hard times are going to come. You're going to have difficult times in your life. Now when difficult times come, stay close to him. We're in Luke chapter 8 and verse 23. The Bible says, and they the Bible says, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Who is the he? The Lord Jesus Christ. You realize there is no storm that shakes him. Amen. There is no storm that unnerves him. So here comes the storm. Uh, where's he at? He's in the belly of the ship, sound asleep. Wouldn't it be great if we were so close to him that no storm would shake us? So here he is. He's in the belly of the ship. He's sound asleep. You know, uh, and by the way, there are some people that's that way. When storms come, they can just sleep through it. My grandfather was that way. Amazing. Uh, there could be a loud noise in the house, and my grandfather's sound asleep. How'd you know he was sound asleep, preacher? Because he snored. I say, Grandpa, you're snoring. He wake up a little bit and fall back asleep again. And he'd snore so loud it would keep everybody else awake in the house. Now I'm saying this, uh, how is it that you can make it through your storm? Uh, what is it that you can do to be able to keep that right reflection that we ought to have for the Lord Jesus Christ? Number one, get in his will. Get in his will when it comes to salvation. Only through Christ can a person have eternal life. It's not the baptism, not the being good, not the keeping of the seven sacraments or uh, one of the uh, hundred plus commandments you find in the Bible. No, it's Christ and Christ only. Uh, but now that you know that you're saved and you've entered into that journey with Christ, can I tell you this? When hard times come, stay close to him. Now, by the way, he'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. If my children are good, they're still my kids. If my children are bad, they're still my kids. Hello? Uh, we have this thing, you know, uh, we teach that uh, uh, when you get married, it ought to be till death do you part. Now, that doesn't mean you try and kill them. But till death do you part. Now, now wait a minute. Uh, can I tell you this? That uh, you make a relationship with your wife I, I'll, I'll come May 25th, we'll be married 35 years. 35, I heard a, heard a guy say this recently. He, he uh, was uh, speaking, remember this? He was speaking to a bunch of preachers, and he said, uh, it won't be long, I'll be married 40 years. And all the preachers, you know, they were, <laughs> I've been married 40 years, he said. And then he said, to seven different women. And then all the preachers stopped <laughs> 
But you know, uh, I, I, uh, 35 years, one woman. Say, what is that? That's her having grace on me, me having grace on her. That's growing a relationship. For some reason, we teach our young people or some teach the young people that, boy, when you get married, it's going to be nothing but rosy. You'll never have any conflicts. You know, we got married, there was conflicts. There was. I used to be in a single guy. I was in college. I lived in a dormitory with a bunch of other single guys. And only when we knew that the dean was coming through the check to see we had a clean room, did we clean the room? I mean, you know, uh, there was the basket over there, and, and we, we'd take, you know, our socks or whatever, and we'd shoot them in the basket, and if we missed it, we'd pick them up, we'd get ready to go out the door, let's not use extra energy. But I remember doing that when I first got married. You know, there was that uh, clothes basket over there, and I, I had my socks, I took them off, and I tried for a three-pointer, and I missed my wife looked at me and she said, what are you doing? I said, I, I missed. She said, aren't you going to go pick it up? I said, well, yeah, I'm, when I go out the door, I'll pick it up. She said, how about, how about now? And I said, well, it's, it's on the floor. It, it'll be okay. It's not going to run away. They weren't that bad. And she said, honey, I'd, honey, I'd, honey I, I'd appreciate it if you pick it up. Well, what do you do with that when you're newly married? Forget you. No. <laughs> you go over and you pick it up and you put it in the, in the clothes basket there. Now, can I say this? Can I say that uh, when you're in this journey with Christ, it's a relationship, just like you'd have a relationship with your wife or with your husband, with your kids. It's a relationship. You have to grow it on purpose. It doesn't grow by accident. All of a sudden, you just don't wake up now that you're a believer in Christ, now that you receive Christ, and all of a sudden you wake up and you say, oh, I'm saved. I feel saved. You look in the mirror as you're shaving as a man and say, I look saved. You know, and you start singing the praises of God when you get, eh, normally that's not the way it is. You'll probably roll out of bed the same way you did the day before you received Christ. You know, normally you don't become somebody that's super spiritual. Uh, you don't leap buildings with a single bound. You don't have the Bible memorized from cover to cover. It takes time to grow. Here you see, as God recorded this wonderful story here, that uh, here Christ is uh, getting in the ship with that which is the disciples. And by the way, when you receive Christ as Savior, you're never alone. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. He says he's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You don't have to worry about being forsaken. But the Bible says here as they got in that ship that he went down, he fell asleep. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 8 and verse 23, and there came, it says, down, it says, a storm of wind on the lake. That's where they are. So that storm of wind is coming down. That storm of wind is now setting on them on the lake. The Bible says, and they were filled with water. The Bible says, and they were in jeopardy. So here these masterful seamen are now finding themselves in jeopardy. Why? Because the storm is coming. They did not plan for the storm. And how many believers have I met over the years? Uh, you get saved and you say, boy, it's going to be different now. And all of a sudden the storm hits and now you become disenchanted. It's like, well, where's God? Well, God's always been there. Now that you're a believer, you should know him even better. But sometimes it's hard to make it through the storms when you don't recognize his presence in the midst of the storms. 
You know, uh, every team needs a star player. And can I tell you, if you get close to him, that would be Jesus in your life. Every company needs a financial expert, and if you get close to the Lord, he'll be that in your life. Uh, every person that's sick needs somebody that's a great physician, and Christ is the great physician. Everybody that's a leader of leaders needs to get close to the most dynamic and most balanced leader of all time. Who is that? That is Christ. Don't forget it was Peter walking on the water, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Wasn't a long prayer, wasn't a deep prayer, uh, wasn't a philosophical type of prayer. It was just a short, not even a theological type of prayer. He just said, Lord, save me, and God saved him just like that. Why? He's always there for you. I'm saying this, statement number one, get in the will of God. Talking about how is it that you can have a reflection of God and not be interrupted. Statement number two, when hard times come, stay close to him. Statement number three, uh, ask uh, God to calm your storm. Now, we all have different storms. Some people go to the dentist, that's a storm. Other people diagnosed with some type of terminal disease, that's their storm. Some people have a flat tire, that's their storm. Some people go through all sorts of other things that are called storms. The Bible says in Luke 8 and 24, the Bible says, and they came to him and awoke him. At least they knew who to go to. It says, master, master, we perish. They know who to call on. The Bible says, then he arose and uh, rebuked the wind and the raging water, and they ceased, and watch it now, there was a calm. When you find that there's tumultuous times in your life, can I tell you, the one that can calm it in your life is Christ. The Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 2, the Bible says that we have not because we ask not. But before that little portion of that verse, it says this, that they lust. And it says, and have not. It says, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. So these people are going to great extremes. Uh, ye fight and war, and yet you have not because you ask not. In other words, they're going through travail. I'm trying to work this out. I'm trying to work this out. I'm trying to work this out. I'm trying to get an answer this away. You can see the turmoil there. You can see the struggle there. You can sense, if you would please, the frustration, if you will. But yet, the Bible says that all you have to do is ask. And isn't it amazing how God will answer prayer? Cannot begin to tell you as I traveled for uh, 12 years in evangelism with my family. And, and boy, you know, things were just not popping financially sometimes. And sometimes they were awfully swell. But I remember traveling, and I would say, Dear Lord, it sure be nice if you treat me to a cup of coffee. I could use the encouragement right now. If you don't choose to give me a cup of coffee, you can choose to do something else, but I sure do need encouragement. And I'd pull into a gas station, and I'd fill up my tank with, uh, uh, with gas, and I'd grab a cup of coffee, and I'd go up to the register, uh, getting ready to pay for the cup of coffee, and a person would smile at me and say, Hey, don't worry about that. I said, don't worry about what? Don't worry about that. You don't, you don't need to take care of that. That's fine. You know, sometimes God will use little things to encourage you. Little things to encourage you. It's not like the person that shot the email uh, to uh, is a preacher. and He was always encouraging people. And the story is that he was off preaching somewhere and he died. And his wife was always concerned, you know, is he going to be all right, going to be all right, going to be all right? And the email came in late, and, and uh, <laughs> you know, he was talking about the weather. And 
It came in late after his death, and she was sure that he was saved, but it came in after his death, and she got the email, and she didn't notice the date that it was sent, of course, before he died. And the email read something like this, because he was in an extreme, hot, humid country, and he was preaching. It says, it sure is hot down here. Can't wait to see you. Bring all your friends. Now, can I tell you, once you're saved, you're always saved. I know there's people that debate it and people that get upset, and they say, well, you know, don't, you don't understand. What if, I, what if I sin? I mean, I'm saved, but I sin. What about that? Well, when your kids sin against you, you don't disown them. You might think about it, but you don't disown them. They're still part of your family. That's the same way it is with God. Uh, you know, when a person is born into the family of God, God doesn't ever disown them. They're always going to be his children. I'm saying this, uh, get in the will of God. Statement number two, when hard times come, stay close to God. Statement number three, ask God to calm the storm in your life. Statement number four, and I'm done. Uh, know that God will help you through. Have confidence, have faith that God will help you through. Look at it. Uh, we're in Luke chapter 8, last verse I'll read in the book of Luke chapter 8, verse 25. The Bible says, and he said unto them, where is uh, your faith? So here's the Lord speaking unto these disciples. He said, where is your faith? He says, watch this, and it says, and them being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, what manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Have you, has God ever been so good to you that you look at it and say, wow, what manner of God is this? I mean, that he would care for me that way, that he would answer my prayer that he would encourage me in such a way that I could step out and lead my family and help my dear wife and help my children the way they should be led and the way they should be helped. You know, it's amazing how the Bible says this. In John chapter 15 and verse 1, it says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Sometimes purging is for the glory of God. Sometimes we go through things, and people ask all the time, they say, Pastor, I'm going through a hard time. Does that mean God's judging me? Might mean that God's blessing you. Sometimes God will allow us to go through purging in our life so that he can help us to be more like Christ. That's not bad. That's good. John chapter 15 and verse 3, the Bible says, Now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except you abide in me. And so what happens? Know that he can help you through the turbulent times. Know that he can help you through the problems. There is no problem that's too big for God. There's no distraction that gets God's attention away from you. The problem is we get distracted. And then we get this eerie feeling, well, I just don't feel like I'm close to God. You ever get that? I just don't feel like I'm close to God anymore. But God hadn't moved. It's us that move. And the same way we move, we can move back. All right? So stand up, if you will, hold your Bible, Dr. Bachman. And so here's what happens. Uh, Dr. Bachman is preaching the Bible, and uh, he's instructing and whatnot, and, and then I, I hear the truth. I have a choice at that time. I can move towards the truth. And by the way, it's not saying he's a perfect man. 
but he has a perfect book. So I, I can move towards the truth, or I can say, yeah, yeah, I don't buy into that. Nah, I don't, I don't really buy into that. You know, I mean, some of that, yeah, some of that's good, but after all, I just don't buy into all of that. But the more that I take and I obey what God tells me to do, the closer I get to God, hey, wait a minute, the closer you are to somebody, the more feelings come in. The more feelings come in. Uh, so, thank you. Several kids move away to college. They attend college. And we always tell them, I just taught a lesson in, in our college here and in our academy here. We have a Bible college here and an academy here. I just taught the same lesson uh, because it was the last day that I would speak to them. Uh, you know, and so I, I taught the same lesson on, on how to love and honor your parents over the summertime. Yeah, most of the time it's not the parents that move. Mom and dad, you know, they're old enough now. They got a schedule. They got a system. They get up the same time. They do the same routine all day long. They come home. They got a system. Most of the time it's not the parents that move. It's the child. But if you want to keep that relationship sweet, the child also has the responsibility of loving and honoring their parents deeply. Same it is with the child of God. Have responsibility. That responsibility is to honor and love God supremely. So it becomes my choice. When I hear the Bible, do I move closer to or do I move farther away? That's all by choice. I hope we make the right choices. It'll help you to have a better reflection when you need to have it the most. Father, help us, I pray, this morning. Thank you for joining us today. For more audio or video content, you can visit our website at parksidebaptist.org.